excited to share with you this morning. I'm excited to share this concept of Jesus as the good shepherd. Uh, Jesus made that claim himself. John chapter 10 records where he did it twice. I've pulled out the passage where he says, uh, I am, let's see, there we go. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And that's the 15th verse, but five verses earlier in the 10th verse, he also says, I am the good shepherd. He made that claim. Now, when he made that claim, was he simply talking about some idea of some newfangled analogy that Jesus is just pulling out of the air and going to use with those people? No. Jesus is making a claim of who he is based upon Old Testament passages, teachings, an allegory that was still culturally vibrant. The culture still understood it, but the roots went deep into the soil of the antiquity of Israel. And so we want to get into that antiquity. We want to get into that old soil which is found in the Old Testament. But to do that, it's going to help us to at least get into the mindset of what a shepherding experience is. Now, how many of you are shepherds with sheep? Just so I know how many we've got. I'm seeing roughly 0%. No, we've got a couple of hands up. Yes. Okay. We've got a couple of shepherds. I want to tell you that um, I tried really hard to get into character for this. We have 17 sheep. Our 17 sheep used to live in this real little pen. And we'd feed them twice a day. And they were bad sheep. (laughs) We would feed them twice a day. And it finally dawned upon me and my sweet wife, Becky, that we needed to move our sheep to better pasture land. So we took an area, and those of you who've been to our our place know it pretty well. You'll see it the next time you're there. We took an area that's not quite, maybe it's a half an acre. And we decided, we fenced it in, that's where the sheep are going to go. So they'll have grass to graze on. Their pen was so small it didn't even have grass. They'd eaten it all down to the nubbins. It was dirt. But the problem became, how do we move the sheep from where they are to where they need to be. I thought this is easy. All I need are cowboy boots and a cowboy hat, and I should be ready to go. They'll know to follow me. Now, we have this little knot of a dog. It's a Havanese. And I mean, when Tizzy, Sarah named her, When Tizzy is sopping wet, she weighs at least a pound. And I knew I needed a sheepdog to help me corral the sheep. So I sat down with Tizzy and I looked her in the muzzle. And I said, Tizzy, you need to be the sheepdog. 
Get into character. Start thinking. And I, I did a slide point, a PowerPoint presentation of Australian shepherds. And, and, and you, you remember the old uh, um, Warner Brothers cartoon with the sheepdog who just sit there while the coyote? I, all of that, I put it together. I made Tizzy watch. And I got Tizzy into character. And then I got my family. I thought Becky would be a help. Turns out all she wants to do is videotape and laugh. I got a few others who I thought might actually be a help. Mark Wilkie was there. Uh, uh, Janet Seifert was there. Um, uh, You've not lived till you've seen Mark Wilkie try to tell the sheep what to do. <laughs> they did not get past him. He was a, he was a good barrier. <laughs> so we eventually... It was about a five-minute walk. It took us about three hours. But we got the sheep. Now, I want to tell you, there are real shepherds who are out there. And I admire them, but I am not one of them. (laughs) We couldn't get the sheep to leave this pen, stupid sheep. They're saying, I'm taking you to a good pasture. You're living in a ghetto. And they're like, I like this ghetto. I'm staying in this ghetto. I am not going. Finally, Manuel, one of our, our guys who helps take care of the sheep, he gets in there with me, and he, and, his, and he just starts chunking them over the fence. I mean, it's all we can do. One of them who's pregnant about an hour and a half after we got her in the new pen, she dropped that little lamb. I mean, it was like, holy smoke. It's like taking a nine-month pregnant woman on a roller coaster. It was just like, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this. So we, we, we started doing all of this. Well, shepherding sheep as a concept is one that God put into Scripture from the earliest times. Way back in the time of Moses, after Moses has taken these Israelites throughout the wilderness for 40 years, Moses is getting ready to take them uh, uh, to the final stages and, and deliver them over to someone else to go into the promised land. And Moses pulls this analogy, and we've got the passage up here. Moses says, let the Lord the God of the spirits of all flesh, appoint a man over the congregation who'll go out before them and come in before them, who'll lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be as sheep that have no shepherd. This is an old concept in the Old Testament of the people of God being sheep in need of a shepherd. But God took that beyond the simple analogy of the leader of Israel as a shepherd and made it abundantly clear that beyond that, God is the shepherd of his people. And so we've got in the Old Testament some key Old Testament pictures for Jesus as the shepherd. And I want us to look at them together. The first one is from Ezekiel 34, 1 through 16. 
So you've got a Bible, flip, you don't, just grab the screen in front of you. Ezekiel 34, 1 through 16. All right. Now, the word of the Lord came to me. This is God speaking through Ezekiel the prophet. All that Ezekiel says is inspired by God. But God wants to make it abundantly clear that this was a distinct word heard by him. That's an emphasis on what's coming. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. These are the earthly leaders of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you don't feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. Now, this is what a bad shepherd does. A bad shepherd feeds on the sheep rather than taking care of the sheep. A bad shepherd's more concerned, a bad shepherd's killing the sheep to eat the sheep, not taking care of the flock as a shepherd is supposed to. So this tells us a little bit about Jesus, a good shepherd, what a good shepherd does, because we can read what a bad shepherd does and know that Jesus, the good shepherd, doesn't do this. He does the opposite. Ezekiel will confirm that in a minute, but let's look at it together first. Instead of living off of the sheep, a good shepherd lives for the sheep. Jesus the good shepherd, lives for the sheep. Instead of not strengthening the weak, Jesus, the good shepherd, strengthens the weak. Instead of not healing the sick, Jesus, the great physician, will heal the sick. Instead of not binding up the injuries... Jesus, the good shepherd, will bind up your injuries where you've been hurt. Instead of letting the strays be strays, Jesus, the good shepherd, is going to figure out how to seek them out and bring them back. Instead of the lost not being sought, Jesus, the good shepherd, will Seek out the lost. 
instead of ruling with force and harshness, Jesus, the good shepherd, will rule with love. His yoke will be gentle. His burden will be light. Now that's the inference you can get. But lest you forget any of this, lest you not take heed, Ezekiel makes it clear starting in verse 11. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. My sheep. Whoops. God is the shepherd here. God says, I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he's among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep. God is not a poor shepherd. God is a good shepherd. I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples. I will gather them from the countries. I'll bring them into their own land. I'll feed them on the mountains of Israel. I'll feed them with good pasture. I'm going to bring them back and take care of them. I'm not going to feast on the sheep. I'm going to feed the sheep. I'm going to tend to the sheep. I'm going to find them. They're going to lie down in green pastures, in good grazing land. On a rich pasture, they're going to feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured. I will strengthen the weak. It's the fat and the strong I'm eating. I will feed them in justice. Now, this contrast between a good and a bad shepherd is one we need to understand as prophetic of Jesus. Because that John 10 passage is one where Jesus is comparing himself to bad shepherds. He's echoing this passage out of Ezekiel 34. If you look at the John 10 passage in a little more detail, you'll see what I'm talking about. It starts out, Jesus says, I say to you, who, he who doesn't enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man's a thief and a robber. He who enters by the door is the shepherd. And then he keeps going and he talks about how the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. They won't follow a stranger. Boy, I learned that. But they will flee from him. They don't know the voice of strangers. Jesus says to him again, I'm the door of the sheep. Anyone who comes before me are thieves and robbers. He talks about that. And then he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. The good shepherd is the shepherd. Look at this up here. Uh, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You find a hired hand who's not a shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming. He runs. And the wolf snatches the sheep 
and scatters them. He flees. He's a hired hand. He doesn't care for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. Anybody else who takes care of the sheep and does so poorly is in contrast to Jesus. So within that frame of mind, I want you to think about Ezekiel one more time. And I just want to ask you a question. Do you feel weak? Spiritually weak? Emotionally weak? Frail? Frazzled? Physically weak? The good shepherd is there to help you. The good shepherd is there saying, I will strengthen the weak. You say, yeah, but I'm emotionally frail. And I've asked God for help. And I'm still emotionally frail. That's okay. You say, I'm spiritually weak. I've asked God for help. I'm still spiritually weak. That's okay. That doesn't mean you're not praying right. That doesn't mean that God's ignoring you. That doesn't mean you're not his child. That means you need his strength right now and later today and tomorrow and throughout this season of weakness. I know you're looking, here's an analogy. I know you're looking at me and you're saying, wow, I'll bet he bench presses 400 pounds. <laughs> I, thanks, coach. I, I really don't. I don't bench press half of that. If I went to Coach Bowman and I said, Coach Max, boy, I really have boxed myself in with this analogy. <laughs> but let's go ahead and go for it. Coach Max, I am weak. I need you to strengthen me. My bench press is embarrassing compared to my nephews. Is Coach Max going to say, okay, I will strengthen you. Go and bench press 200 pounds for 10 reps. Well, it doesn't work that way. How's he going to strengthen me? Little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, and if we're really going for 200 pounds of 10 reps, probably decade by decade. <laughs> but that's what strengthening is. That's the language God used. So if you say, I'm weak, and I prayed, and he didn't answer my prayer. Yes, he did. Keep praying and keep working out with him. He's going to strengthen you. You know what the opposite would be? The opposite would be instead this idea of, hey, you're burning fuel. You're not like a car where you say, I'm weak, and, 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 or I'm almost out of gas. And, and you're going to keep driving, and then you're going to go out of gas. That's a whole different, and that's not the way it's going to work. 
You don't have to worry about your weakness causing you to run out of gas and be destroyed. God will strengthen you. He'll supply you the gas. He'll take care of what you need. You just need to keep leaning on Him. These are the assurances we get with Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Are you injured? Same type analogy. You'll get bound up. Taking care of an injury doesn't happen overnight. If a sheep breaks a leg, you don't heal the fracture overnight. It takes time. But the good physician is there to heal. He's there to take care of your injuries. You say, um, something horrible happened to me. You know, I was abused. Or I was um, mistreated. Or I've been betrayed. Or someone that I trusted has, has uh, betrayed that trust. And I'm injured. And I've got this deep scar the promise from the shepherd is, I won't ignore your scar. I will bind you up. I will, I will take what has happened to injure you and bring you to a place where you may still have the scar. The x-ray may still reveal the fracture but you're going to be able to function and do everything you need to do in my kingdom because I'm here to take care of you. See, these are the promises that Jesus was claiming when he said, I'm the good shepherd. This passage that talks about how God's going to do that is a passage that talks about God the good shepherd. I spoke with one of the couples this morning who asked the question last week about once saved, always saved. They went over to Jersey Village for a second set of questions. And I was talking to one of them and she said, you know, I've got a sister who loved the Lord, but she's just seems to be distracted and, and hadn't said she doesn't believe in God or anything, but I just, I see no sign of life. And I'm worried about it. We have an assurance that God's going to go out there and this stray, He's going to bring back. We can take comfort that God's not someone who just easily lets His sheep wander off the reservation. God is, God is a good shepherd who's paying attention. And if the sheep go off, He's going to get them. And it may not be today, it may not be a one-day journey... And the sheep may get in a lot of trouble and a lot of pain and a lot of danger. But God's going to get his sheep. And we can rest in confidence about that. God's not going to just let them become food for the wild beasts without going back and finding them. There's one last add to this that I want to get before we move to another passage. God says, I will feed my sheep Injustice. Jesus is the good shepherd. 
more than anything else, has given us a way to be right with God in justice. It's not an injustice. Regardless of how bad we are, it is not an injustice that God holds us in his care and takes us for eternity. It's a justice because God paid the price for our sins. The penalty has been fully paid. So God didn't have to violate his standard of justice to take care of his sheep. Rather, our life, what our nourishment, our sustenance is rooted firmly in justice. He feeds us with justice and injustice in Jesus. And so if we go back to the PowerPoint, that's the Ezekiel passage. It fits in well with passages like John 17 where Jesus is doing his high priestly prayer. And he says, I haven't let any of the ones you entrusted in my care leave, save the son of perdition, that it might be fulfilled as it's written in Scripture. I want to give you another passage of, that, that is an Old Testament image of Jesus, the good shepherd. And that's found in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 9 through 11. Now, Isaiah is an amazing, amazing book, but chapter 40 is one that forever people have recognized, even at the time of Jesus, as a messianic chapter. In other words, this is a chapter that talks about the Messiah. Isaiah wrote it over 600 years before the birth of Jesus. And we don't have any doubt that the church has come in and tampered with this. If for no other reason than the Dead Sea Scrolls themselves. There's a great Isaiah scroll that predates Jesus. The writing of it predates Jesus. The actual scroll. And this is one that we know from countless other areas as well. That it was viewed as one that spoke of the Messiah, the coming one. It starts out, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, cry to her. Her warfare is ended, her iniquity is pardoned. She's received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. This is the precursor. She gets brought back from captivity. And then a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And this is the prophet that prepares the way for the Messiah. This is who John the Baptist was. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the uneven ground shall become level. And the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. All flesh shall see it together. Kipi Adonai Deber, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. By the way, Martin Luther King used this in one of his speeches. Famous, famous speech. Great usage. This speaks of the Messiah. This speaks of the coming of Jesus. 
This speaks of a time where the unholy can be made holy. Where the arrogant can be brought down to reality. This speaks of a time where God nourishes and ministers to everyone. That was the plea, by the way, of Martin Luther King. Let's live what we've gotten. A voice says, cry. And I said, well, what am I going to cry? All flesh is grass, all beauty like flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. The people are like grass, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. So look at what is now said that's going to stand forever. Go up to a high mountain so your voice will carry. O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, see, behold, look at your God. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. His reward is with him. His recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with the young. This is what the Messiah is going to do. The Messiah is going to come. And you proclaim what the Messiah is going to do. How he's going to take care of his sheep like a shepherd. You proclaim that and you are proclaiming the good news. If we go back to the PowerPoint for a moment. You are proclaiming the good news. PowerPoint. Yes, no, maybe. There we go. Thank you. Good news. Good news. Good news. How's your Hebrew? It comes from the Hebrew word basar. This is the participle form of basar. So if you want to look at it, the Jews, before the time of Jesus, translated their Hebrew scriptures into Greek because so many of them were Greek. And they came across mabasaret, and they translated it into euangelizomenos, which is a participle from euangelos. Euangeleo, I guess the verb form. It's a participle. Do you recognize that at all? You, E-U, that beginning part, E-U, means good. Like um, euthanasia is supposed to be a good death. I don't agree, but it's a different day. EU means good in Greek. So then you've got this next word that's next to it. And that A-G-G, when you have two G's together in Greek, you pronounce the first one as an N. So that's pronounced A-N-G-E-L. Forget that whole ending at the end. 
A-N-G-E-L. What word is that? Angel. And what's an angel? A messenger. That word means message. You, angeleo, or here, you angelizomenos, means a good message or good news. It technically, if you saw that word in the New Testament, do you know how they translate it? Gospel. That's the word for gospel. It's the Greek word for gospel. It's in a form that says someone proclaiming the gospel. This is a messianic passage. So the passage says, send someone up on the high mountain, O herald of the gospel. Lift up your voice with strength, Jerusalem, herald of the gospel. Jesus is the good shepherd. That's the gospel. That's good news. He's willing to die for his sheep. He will lay down his life to protect his sheep. He doesn't come to feed on us. He doesn't come to feast on us. He doesn't come because he needs our wool for clothing. He has come as a shepherd, not an owner. He has come to take care of us, not to feast on us. He has come to make sure we're all we can be for God. Not something for his pleasure. And that's the beauty of this passage. So if we go back to the PowerPoint. John 40, verse 9 through 11. A good one. Now, you ready for a really bizarre one you've never heard of out of the Old Testament? Psalm 23. (laughs) Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. Stop. Full stop. The Lord. The Lord God. He's my shepherd. He's mine. You can say that. If you're a child of God, you can say, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. There's not a desire that I have that that, that is not going to be met by him as long as it's a godly desire. You want to go frolic with the wolves? He ain't going to let you do that. Oh, please, God. I'd love to to go sleep with the wolves tonight. Well, he's a good shepherd. Those aren't desires he grants, generally. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, the verb there is, is in a hifil form. If you read Hebrew, you would understand that the hifil form means it's something he causes. And so, this is beautiful. I'm going to put the psalm up here so that we can look at it. I want to make sure that you get the thrust of this. This is the verb I'm talking about. Lie down. And because it's in the hifil form... 
the translators recognize that the verb lie down there is where God, the subject, forces or causes or makes the object do that verb, lie down. This is the God we have. If you left me to my own devices, I would be like those stupid, stupid, stupid sheep that we own that would not, for the life of them, leave this nasty little pen where they're stepping over feces all the time because that's all there is there. There's no grass to eat. We have to give them hay for every meal. They basically have a shanty if they need to be covered from the rain. And we've created this incredible pasture for them with a marvelous sheep pen for when it rains, with luscious green grass, enough to where they can eat it, with plenty of room for them to do what they want to do. And they don't anymore want to go there than the man in the moon. We spend two stinking hours trying to get them. Finally, we get the lasso around. Oh, you should see me lasso. Yeehaw. We get the lasso around one of them. And I get her through the gate, pulling her. She's like, oh, I'm not moving. I'm not going. I get her through the gate. And no one else wants to follow her. We're having to chunk them over the fence. And then they're like, oh, I think I'm going back. Mark Boogie, you can't go back. Can't go back. <laughs> Becky off to the side. Ha, 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 ha. This is hilarious filming it. <laughs> Janet Seifert trying to be helpful. <laughs> no, you, she was very helpful. <laughs> and... These stupid sheep don't want to go where we want to take them, which is a marvelous place. And all I'm thinking about this whole time is, that's me with God. But he's going to make me lie down in green pastures, whether I like it or not. That's the good shepherd. And you sit there and you say, oh, I'm, I'm enjoying this sin I'm in. Well, I got news for you. God's going to make you miserable with it, and he's going to figure out how to drag you out of it. God's going to teach you how to behave and how to walk and how to live. He's going to sanctify you, to use the big theology term. Because he doesn't want you slumming a ghetto life. He wants you lying down in green pastures. Now let's get clear about things. That doesn't mean he's going to make you wealthy. Wealth as big a trap as there is out there. I know what some of you are saying, well, may God so trap me. <laughs> What's the line in Fiddler on the Roof where he says something like, you know, God, if it's a curse to be wealthy, why have you slay me? You know, have you thought about cursing me? You know? 
what it does mean is that he wants to take who you are and make you right for his kingdom and put peace in your heart. And that's worth so much more than money. Peace in your heart where you don't drive down the road trying to figure out how you're going to make an extra dollar. But you drive down the road thinking, Lord, what a beautiful day. Where you don't sit there and stress out over how are you going to get done what you've got to get done that day or that week or that month. But you say, Lord, I'm so excited to see how you're going to work through me and see how this happens. I was, uh, am I doing time-wise? Yeah. Um, I was trying a case one time. And it was a, a case with a lot of national attention. So the press were there. Um, lawyers from the biggest law firms in the country on the other side. And, and, and they, um, th- there's a lot, of, a lot on the line. Um, the, 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 the lawsuit itself concerned issues that affected a lot of people, not just in the U.S., but in the world. And the, the interests were huge for a number of really big companies. And before, at the start of the trial, you, you pick a jury and you put the jury in the box. And then you have a, a time called opening statement where the lawyers stand up for each of the parties and, and present to the jury what they think the case is going to be about. And our opening statements were scheduled to start at 9 in the morning. And so the jury's assembling in the jury room, and they'll come out. when the First, the judge will take the bench, and then the jury, he'll call, or she, it was a female judge, will call the jury out. So all of the lawyers are in the courtroom. The clients are in the courtroom. And the, the press is in the courtroom. They've got another courtroom for overflow with a camera in the courtroom because the courtroom itself wouldn't hold everybody in attendance. It was a, it was a massive, and that the energy level is really, really high. And the intensity is really, really high. And there's a lot of money riding on these cases. There's money riding on it for the companies. There's money riding on it for the plaintiffs. There's money riding on it for the lawyers like me who, who put their own money into these cases. And if we win, and can hold it on appeal, maybe we get paid one day. If not, we lose all of our money and we don't get paid. And, and, and I, had a, I, I was the trial lawyer, but there were many firms who were all working together on this case with me who had put in a lot of money. I mean, millions and millions of dollars, a lot of money to fight this fight. So the tension level is just amazing. But I want to tell you, it, I'm in there to do what the Lord wants me to do. And if we win, praise the Lord. And if we lose, praise the Lord, as long as it's what the Lord wanted us to do. So I'm, I'm pretty prayed up. I got you guys who pray for me like crazy at trial. Y'all are my secret weapon. 
you guys pray for me in trial. I'm thinking, what chance does anybody else have? But I'm prayed up. And I went to the lawyers for the other side. Everybody's waiting for the judge. They look like they're constipated. <laughs> and I went up. And generally, lawyers don't like communicate with each other during this time period. Everybody's real nervous over what they're going to say and how they're going to say it. They're wondering what I'm going to say and all the rest of this stuff. So I just went up to them and I shook their hands. And I said, hey, I know this is going to be a war, but aren't we blessed to be able to do what we're doing today? Isn't this a great day? And before we get into the trenches and start shooting at each other, I just want to enjoy this moment with you. Let's thank God together. Of course, these are pagans. They're like, what? Let's just, not many people get to, to do what we're getting to do today. How cool is this? And they're, they're like, give me the barf bag. You know, they're, they're really not necessarily into it. But it was just, I meant it from my heart. When, when the, the, the shepherd is watching his sheep, it doesn't mean that I'm going to have an easy time of it. It doesn't mean I'm going to win. It doesn't mean I'm not going to lose my shirt. But it means that I've got a shepherd who's watching over me. So instead of having anxiety over it all, I'm able to relish in the fact of, look what God's going to do in this, regardless, and that I get to be a part of it. And that's the way it is for us in our lives. He's going to make us lie down in green pastures. He's going to lead us beside still waters. He's going to restore our soul, lead us in paths of righteousness, not because we're good enough, not because we're that great a sheep, but because of who He is for His name's sake. This isn't about us. It's never about us. And He doesn't take care of us because we are clearly going to produce the greatest wool humanity's ever put into a sweater. No! It's about Him. He loves us. I got to ask a question this morning about tattoos. It's a really interesting question, really interesting answer. I'll tell you about it sometime. Anyway, <laughs> the, we don't have time. We really don't. So here's the deal. Jesus, let's go back to the PowerPoint. He's going to make us lie down in green pastures. And this is the Jesus who will lay down himself, his life for us. Now, the pun isn't really John's pun because the Greek word's different and all the rest, but it's a pun that we have in English. And it's one worth remembering that Jesus lays down his life for us so that we can lay down in green pastures. Here are your points for home. I want the idea of God and Jesus as shepherd. I want that idea to inform your prayers. Make sure you understand what I mean by this. Let it change the way you pray. Let it teach you how to pray. 
that God is your shepherd. So here's your passage for this. It's from Psalm 80. Psalm 80 says the following. Give ear. Listen. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel. You who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the angels, the cherubim. Shine forth. Stir up your might and come to save us. You and I have a good shepherd. And it should change the way we pray. We can pray to God as our shepherd. God, I'm weak. Strengthen me. God, I'm injured. Heal me. God, I'm worried. Give me peace. God, I'm lost. Give me direction. God, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Feed me, even in the midst of my enemies. Prepare a table for me. God, would you please come to my rescue? Be my shepherd. Make me lie down in green pastures. I'm in thorns and thistles. Let it inform your prayers. Point for home number two. Let God as shepherd inform your life. In other words, he's your shepherd, you're his sheep. Don't be stupid like my sheep. Here's your passage, Psalm 95. Oh, come, let us worship him and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture. We're the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts like you did at Meribah and at Massa when the people were far from doing what I said. Live like good sheep. You've got the best shepherd in the world. You don't need to be afraid to follow him. You've got the best shepherd in the world. You don't need to be afraid to trust him. You've got the best shepherd in the world. All you need to do is follow what he says and where he leads. And you will find your life to be the most marvelous life before God it could ever be. Doesn't mean there's not difficulty. Because God is glorified when we triumph in difficulty. And difficulty can be a good teacher. Doesn't mean you don't hurt when you lose a loved one. Doesn't mean, that it means that you get comforted in that hurt. And you're able to minister to other people who suffer hurt. Doesn't mean any of that. It, what it means is. That in this life, you walk where God is leading you and you will have the fullest, most complete, peaceful, shalom life you could ever have to his glory. Point for home number three. So let it inform your life, number two, your prayers, number one, your life, number two. Number three, let it inform your worship. For this point for home, we go to Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. 
So enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise and give thanks to him. Bless his name. We used to sing that in my youth group growing up. It's a great psalm. We should be worshiping the good shepherd who takes care of his sheep. And it should cause us to sing and to celebrate and to tell the world why we don't fear the way people fear. To tell the world why we have faith in the face of fear. Because we have a good shepherd who leads us and will not abandon us. And if we stray, he'll come find us and bring us home. It's a marvelous picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. I'm looking forward to sharing with you again next week. We're going to look at another Old Testament picture of Jesus. But in the meantime, can I bless you before we depart? Father... In the name of the good shepherd, would you bless your flock? Would you pour your oil of anointing down upon all of us? Would you give your peace to us? Would you show your direction to us? Would you bind up those who are broken and injured? Would you heal those who are hurting? Would you strengthen those who are weak? Would you lead those who are lost? Would you rescue those who are straying? And may it all be to your glory. Amen.